All right, all right. Hey, let me uh, say Merry Christmas to you and Merry Christmas to the folks at the uh, other locations, whether you're at Arden, whether you're Hendersonville, West Asheville, East Asheville, uh, Franklin, any of those places, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I tell you what, Christmas in the mountains is a little easier than Christmas in Texas, all right? Because uh, I remember we do Christmas in Houston, and it was like 93 uh, in, at Christmas. And this is not as easy here because here it's easy. I mean, the temperatures drop, the leaves fall, and I'm not like one of those preachers that's like anti-Christmas. I'm like so pro-Christmas, you won't even believe it, man. I like the, I like the sights. I like the smells. I like, I like the presents. Man, I, I like, I like the, uh, most of the songs. I like the Christmas movies. I mean, classic Christmas movies, you know what, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas at the, when you're young, and then it, you kind of go up to Elf and Christmas Story, and you know, everybody's favorite Christmas movie, a Die Hard. I mean, those are some like awesome, awesome, awesome Christmas movies, and that's kind of the way things go. Movies come out either in the summer or they kind of try to push them a little bit at, uh, at the holiday time, and I noticed just by way of observation that there was a couple of them that have come out recently as well. Uh, one of them you might have might have seen already, and uh, it's dogs. It's actually a Netflix series. All right, this Netflix series, it, it's been out a little while. It came out a little before Thanksgiving. Uh, it's like little episodes of how awesome dogs are, and not surprisingly, the average tomato meter, like 92%. I mean, even the critics are like, this thing is awesome. It's awesome. Of course it's awesome, because it's about dogs. That's why it's awesome, okay? Even the average audience score, 75%. Just an observation, all right? I mean, dogs are awesome. God loves dogs. But as a way of theological comparison at Christmas time, here's another one that came out. It's called Cats, okay? Cats has come out. Do not cheer because you only get an average of a 17%. They're like, man, the cats, they, the cats creeped the critics out. I don't even know what the uh, average audience score is yet, but I thought, okay, that's good. Dogs, cats, that's a good way to kind of get the Christmas spirit started. And um, if that didn't work, some of you busters and boomers, you'll remember when we only had three stations, all right? Remember when we had three, st- three stations, all right? At three. Then you went, I remember there was a huge deal, went to 30. Now we got like a billion, but when there's only like three, the weatherman, weather person would come on. Remember, they break in on the programming and they'd say, Hey, we got a special announcement, special announcements. And it was always Santa Claus and Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. They have broken into the radar screen. They're always, for whatever reason, they're coming from, they're coming from Canada. So they're crossing over the Canadian border. And man, I was like, It's our time. We got to get to bed. Because if he's in Canada and he's already busted, he's going to be here in an hour. So we got to get to bed quick, all right? So again, I don't know why he's always coming from the north, but I guess the North Pole, awesome, awesome time. And at that time, man, Christmas was simple, wasn't it? Simple, it was wonderful, wasn't complicated. Uh, truth be known, though, as you get a little older, it gets a little more complicated, correct? Gets a little less simple, a little more complicated, a lot more expensive. And then as you kind of go on, you uh, hear people talking about, man, it's the most wonderful time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. And what I want you to understand today is it can be the most wonderful time of the year for you, regardless of what is happening, happening. Because what's happening in your life isn't necessarily awesome or the most wonderful time in your life right now. Matter of fact, Christmas oftentimes amplifies some of the issues we have. Uh, maybe this is the first Christmas and uh, all your friends left and all your family left, or maybe you're estranged from your family and it's like, this is the most lonely time of the year. Or uh, this is the first Christmas maybe without a, 
a dad or a mom or a, a husband or a child or somebody like this, the first Christmas. And again, Christmas tends to amplify that. Maybe you have your whole family together and, and that's what's hard because you're, you're remembering how dysfunctional your family is and you're like Jerry Springer show much more than you are Little House of the Prairie. And your prayer is that nobody go to jail over the next couple of days. That's like your number one prayer request that, that Aunt Jill doesn't throw the ham across the dining room table at Uncle Harry. And it's like, please don't have that happen. And so you think it's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's kind of actually the most complicated time. It's definitely the most expensive time of the year. Um, some of you all went to Black Friday and you tended to, hey, I'm going to get all the gifts for everybody. And you max out your card on gifts for you and you don't have any money. What am I going to buy my, my loved ones? Uh, remember the 12 days of Christmas? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know the 12 days of Christmas. All right. That's a crazy song, first and foremost. I mean, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And then they add some crazy stuff. Turtle, doves. I don't even know what that is. All right. Talking, whatever. Here's what I did. I looked up uh, PNC actually has a an index that they do about how expensive the 12 days of Christmas would be if it was today, all right? So again, you can go home and listen to all the different deals. And this is not adding them all. If you add them all together, as many times you go through the song, it's like 12 times as much. But just doing the 12 days of Christmas in a price index right now, it's like 39K, all right? It's like very, very complicated, very, very expensive. And so it's not about what is happening. What I wanna try to drill home today is it's all about what happened it's about what happened 2,000 years ago in a little town in the Middle East has made all the difference. As a matter of fact, you and I joined together with literally tens of millions of people celebrating what happened in a town that nobody took note of with a couple that nobody even knew of, and yet it changed the world, split everything into B.C. and A.D. And so if you uh, have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to be in the traditional Christmas story of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is the traditional Christmas story. We're actually going to be in three verses today. It's Matthew 1, starting in verse 21. We'll be there in a second. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to have them on the screen for you as well. Uh, Feel free to bring out your phone. Most people actually nowadays are looking on their phone, scroll down. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 21. And here's, here's what I found out. Preachers stress over Christmas. They do. You're like, that should be the easiest one. Actually, Easter and Christmas are the hardest ones because here's what I know is you know basically what the subject matter is for that day, correct? All right. You're probably not going to come into uh, Christmas and all of a sudden, I'm shocked you're talking about the incarnation. I had no idea. I thought this was three steps to a better marriage. So you're not, you already know what it's, and so how do we do something fresh? And the Lord finally said, just tell the story. Just tell the story. Don't be cute. Don't be funny. Just tell the story. And so in three verses, what I'm going to try to do is show you it's all in action. It's all in the names. It's all in the names. You're going to see, you're going to see two names of, of, uh, of Jesus today. And a lot of times that's confusing in and of itself because you hear like, is his name Jesus? Is his name Christ? Is his name Emmanuel? Is his name Lord? I mean, is one his first name and then one is his middle name, one's his last? Which one is it? And so we're going to look at three verses, two names, and it's all, the whole thing is in the name. So here's, here are the three verses. She will bear a son. She's married. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Normally, the parents got the right to name their child. God says, I'm going to name the child, and you're going to name him Jesus. What does that mean? For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And by the way, what he spoke was one of 322 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. 
This one was 700 years before Jesus was actually born. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here's what I want to do. I know Christmas, you got a lot of stuff going. I want you to just remember two words today. In these two words, in these two names, you can understand, all right, what is the message and what is it about Christmas that actually makes it good news of great joy that's for all the people, for all the people, no matter what your past is, no matter how messed up things are, no matter what's going on, no matter how long you've been gone, it's good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. One of the reasons it is, is what the word Jesus means, and it's the word Savior. So if you're jotting something down in your phone or whatever, just jot the word Savior down. It says you'll call him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Yeshua. In the Old Testament, you would actually call that Joshua. Some of you Bible scholars, you know that there's a guy in the Old Testament who took over for Moses. His name was Joshua. Joshua's job in the Old Testament was to take God's people out of the wilderness, across the Jordan, and into the promised land. Jesus is the greater Joshua. He is to take his sons and daughters who have repented and embraced Jesus to take them out of the wilderness of their own life, cross over the Jordan of sin into eternal life, into a relationship with him. And so you look at it, he's like, I want you to call him Jesus because it has a foreshadowing that I want the people to know. So let me just be blunt right out the front. You're like, man, you're kind of coming a little bit strong on Christmas. Christmas is about like candy canes and cradles and carols. And what I want to tell you is the, the Christmas song and the Christmas story and the Christmas scriptures are clear. Jesus's primary reason for coming was not as a, a rabbi. It was not as a teacher who told cool stories, not even as someone who worked a lot of miracles. Like, hey, how do I change water into, water into wine or Water into Welch's if you're Baptist, okay? It's not about the mirror. It's about he came for a reason. He came for a reason. And it says his name is the reason that he came. And it shows us that we're not bad people. Listen to me. We're not bad people who need a life coach. We're not bad people. We're not mistakers who need somebody to come by and say, I'm your life coach. We are sinners who need a savior. And I go, you're like, man, I... I'm offended. I mean, I got invited here. I've been in church before, and you're sitting here calling me a sinner. And again, I I know it's popular today to say, again, we are basically good people with blind spots. We are good people that are misunderstood. We have all this hidden potential and just kind of let out the best in me. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not the, the Bible actually says that we're worse than you would think. All right, it's not that we're just mistakers. We are actually sinners. We're rebels. We've actually rebelled against God's rule in our life. We've broken his law. We've broken his heart. We've rebelled against his rule in our life, and we're under the rightful curse of death. By nature and nurture, we are rebels. We've missed the mark. Some of you are like, man, I didn't come here to hear this, and I don't even think I'm a sinner. Just ask, the, ask your neighbor, okay? Ask your neighbor, am I a sinner? You're going to get an affirmative right there, bro, Okay. Just ask, ask your spouse if you are a sinner. They will, yes, you are. If that doesn't work, just think about the basics of morality. If you're still kind of pushing back on this whole concept of we're sinners, just the basics of morality. We know those are the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're in school or if you went to school, you know that if you like are O for whatever, if you're O for 10, that is a failing grade. So let's just do a quick flyby on just the Ten Commandments. I'll take... 
You know, I'll take like three or four. 92% of Americans can't even name the Ten Commandments, so I'm not going to go through all ten. I'll just name three or four and just ask yourself how you square up in relation to these commandments. For example, first commandment, do not have any other gods before me. So can you say I love God more than anything? God has always been utmost in my passions. I've always served him and pursued him most diligently. Uh, No, okay? It says, do not commit adultery. Jesus actually raises the bar and says, if you even have lust in your heart for someone else, you've already committed adultery in your heart. How's that working for you? All right? How's that working for you? All right, all the men said, oh me. So uh, the next one would be, honor, honor, honor your parents. Honor your parents. Have you always honored the God-ordained authorities in your life? Your parents, your teachers, the police. All right, it says, don't steal. Don't steal. Do you, always, you always have taken only what belongs to you. You've never taken something that doesn't belong to you. All right, boomers or busters, remember, go back a little bit time when, remember when the music went on the internet? It was called Napster, okay? Napster's right out the front. And we all thought, this is awesome. This is free. It's free music. It's all free. We thought, okay, it's on the internet. It's got to be, it's got to be free. And then someone came along and said, hey, uh, that's actually uh, stealing. And you said, no, it's sharing. See, it says right there, file sharing. And my mama told me that, you know, sharing is caring. So I'm just caring for people by sharing this. That's all I'm doing. But deep down, you know, something's wrong here. I'm actually taking, I'm taking something that does not belong to me. Or then the, the, the hard one is you shall not covet. I mean, this is the worst one. Can you say, I've never been greedy for something that wasn't mine. I'm not jealous of anybody else's abilities, their looks, their position, their possessions. I've always been fully content in what I have. All right. There's actually a, uh, there's a Greek word for discontentment, and it's actually spelled HGTV. Just kidding. All right. So HGTV, HGTV is actually made for this. And I'm a big fan of HGTV, but HGTV is like... You remember, there was actually a, a show on MTV, not that any of you all saw that show on MTV, but I'm just saying on MTV called Cribs, and Cribs were these outrageous homes that we all knew we cannot afford, and so there really wasn't any kind of coveting factor, like, okay, I understand, I can't have a, I can't have a house with like three pools and a six-car garage, but HGTV came along, all right? It came along. We didn't, even know, we didn't even know what shiplap was, all right? And all of a sudden, it came along. It's like, I got to have that. I got to have that. And, you, and the coveting came, why? Because you're like, man, I could have that if my husband just knew how to swing a hammer. Then I could have all of that stuff, right? Chip, come over. And you, all that happens. That's coveting, coveting. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm like 0 for 10, 0 for 10. If that doesn't do it, uh, picture this. Even if it's not what your spouse says, your neighbor says, the commandments you fail at, let's be honest, we can't even keep our own. You can't even keep your own commandments. I can't Nobody has lied more to you than you. Nobody's broken your commandments more than you've broken your commandments. How many of us have said, you know what? I will never do this. I will never raise my voice to my wife. I will never go on that website. I will never do that. I will make these New Year's resolutions only to break the commandments that we gave ourselves. It's not even God's commandments. We can't even hold our own. And then we have the audacity to actually say, man, I wish God would get rid of all the evil. You see something bad happening out there. It's like, I wish God would get rid of all the evil. The problem with that is if God gets rid of all the evil, none of us are left. And so God chose to deal with it differently. God sends a baby who then grows up, passes every test that we failed, put away every temptation that we fell to, He lived the life that we were supposed to live and then died the death that we deserve to die. 
and then rose from the grave afterwards. And here's the way that God puts it. God puts it in 1 John. He said, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies means that what that baby did when the baby was born, the baby then lived the life we were supposed to live. And when he died, that payment satisfied the wrath, the justice of a holy God. And so when we look at it, you're like, the angel says, this is good news of great joy. And I love the way he says, for all the people, for all the people. If you were to take the time, and I was so tempted to do this. And my wife said, please don't, please don't, please don't. And I was like, all right, all right, I won't. But if you were to read the first 17 verses of this book, the, the New Testament, and you would read the first 17 verses of this first chapter, you would find a plethora of all these hard to pronounce names. Some of them aren't hard to pronounce. Many of them are hard to understand. Some of you, some of you are like, I don't even know. What you're going to see is these were real people and they were not it's the genealogy of Jesus. It starts this way and then it gets to the baby Jesus and all in between there are these jacked up, messed up people. I'm talking about adulterers and prostitutes and thieves and all of these moral outsiders. And what does that tell us? That tells us that the gospel and Christmas is for the moral outsider. It's not for the religious insider who does not think he has any sin. It's for the moral outsider who understands the guilt and shame of her sin. And then you get to the great story of the Christmas story. And the application would be, it doesn't really matter what you've done, how messed up you are, how long you've been gone. You might be on a paid staff of hell. It doesn't matter. What the gospel is, is that the gospel is that Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. If you repent and come to God through Jesus, not only will he accept you and use you, that is the way that he has always worked through people just like us. And so Jesus means savior. It means rescuer. It means deliverer. But the second word it is the idea of him being sent, and that's the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus means rescuer, deliverer. Emmanuel means God with us. That God has actually come to dwell with us and said, you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's what you have to understand. Right at the start, he says, behold, behold, a virgin will be with child, and you will call him Emmanuel. Please hear me on this. Depending on how you grew up, your understanding of the Christmas message and the gospel actually in general is not behold, it's behave. Because you and I grew up or you grew up and if you're like me, by the way, and you're like, uh, I, I didn't grow up in church at all. I came on Christmas and Easter. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here today. All right. I mean, first of all, that's the way I grew up and look what I do. So, you know, good luck with you. I'm just saying my point is this. My point is if your understanding of the Christmas message was be good or behave, that is not the Christmas message. That's moralism. That's religious moralism, all right? That's self-improvement with a choir robe. That's what that is. The message of Christmas is not, that's not even new news, much less good news. Good news is you won the lottery. Good news is you got an A+. Plus. Good news is you got a raise. That's good news. Good news is not be a better person. That's not good. That is, that's every other religion. The gospel is not behave or be good. It is behold. Behold, look what God has done. Look what God did that you could not do. And um, the word Emmanuel shows the foundational teaching of Christianity. Let me give you about 30-second doctrinal uh, 
try to be precise in this just so we're super clear. The most foundational doctrine of Christianity that Jesus was, Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. You might see some stuff over the holidays like, that's not important, that's not important, that's super, super, super important. He was virgin born. He was born as a he was born as a man because he had to be a man to be our true representative on the cross. Again, he lived the life we were supposed to live, faced down everything we were supposed to face, passed every test we failed, and then died the death we were condemned to die, took our place on the cross as our representative. Why? Because he was fully man. Virgin born so he could be fully God. And so what you see is you see the mixture of 100% God and 100% man. That is not the same message that everybody's, that everybody's putting out there. And the reason you gotta understand that it's very popular to say, you know what, whatever way you wanna follow God is okay. The normal analogy is, you know, God's like a mountain. God's at the top of the mountain, and you got all these different roads that lead to the top of the mountain, and whatever road you want to take, that's fine. Just take a road, be sincere in that road, give good effort to that road, and eventually we'll all end up in the same place. The problem with that is that is the antithesis of actually what the Bible says. That's the antithesis of what Jesus said. Jesus actually said, you know what? It's not all those roads, all right? He actually says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when you think about that analogy, uh, what, happens if, uh, what happens if you don't make it up that road? What happens if it's, Im- if it's an impassable road? What if happens if you cannot make that? That's not the same. That's not all the same message. The message of Christmas is not take a road and try to get to the top of the mountain, okay? That's not the, the message of Christmas is God is not at the top of the mountain. God is at the top of the mountain, but then he came down to the bottom of the mountain where we are. The message of Christmas is when God became a man and dwelt among us, John says, that's when he says, you know what? I came down on a rescue mission to the bottom of the mountain to rescue you, to rescue you. Now think about it, man. We go to great lengths to rescue stuff, correct? Kind of based on how valuable it is. Based on how valuable it is, is the link that we go to. And a couple of you all know this story, but I don't think I've ever used it, all right? Even on a, I, I, I don't think I've ever used it. But about a year ago, about this time last year, at the Frank household, and we had a rescue mission like we've never had before. Because what happened is, I'll give you the short story. What happened is, about a year ago, it was kind of drizzly, it's kind of rainy, fortunately it wasn't freezing, but my dog and I, and I've got a German shepherd, his name is Ranger, so we have a ridge behind us and a bunch of woods, and it goes back, and nobody's developed back over there. So we go back there sometime. Tons of animals, all this kind of stuff. So Ranger and I, we're like, hey, Lori, it was, it was drizzly. He's like, Lori, we're going to go take a walk. She said, baby, can you take Gracie with you? Now, Gracie is her dog. It is, it is a miniature schnauzer. Um, it's better than a cat, but it's close to a cat. So I'll just leave it at that. But happy wife, happy life. I'm saying certainly the dog can go with us. The dog can go with us. So off we go. True story. We're not 500 yards up in those woods before I look around and it's like, don't see Gracie at all. I see Ranger. He's over there. And it's like, hey, Gracie, Gracie, Gracie. It's not, no, Gracie. I'm not panicking yet. I'm like, Ranger, find Gracie. I mean, he's a herding animal. Go herd her in here because he's done it before. Bring her back. Gracie, Gracie. No, Gracie. A little bit of panic starts to come in. 15 minutes. I'm looking. I'm getting a little bit panicky. Gracie, Gracie, where are you? No, Gracie. It's like 445. We don't have a lot of daylight yet. I have to make the call because I know what's going to happen. I got to call. I'm hoping she went back home down the mountain and went back home. But I know if I call, this is like, this is it. This is it. So I call. It's like, hey, hey, did, did Grit? 
I love you. Uh, did, did, Gracie, did Gracie happen to come back home? And man, I knew it was on like Donkey Kong. I'm like, it's like, no, no, she didn't. I'll be up there in a second, man. She was up on that mountain like, like Matrix, man. She was just up there super quick. We looked for 15, 30 minutes till it got totally dark. There's no Gracie. Now keep in mind, there are coyotes that live near us and every night when they kill something, they howl a victory party. I mean, they're up there with a keg and everything. They're like having this victory party. I I, I hadn't prayed this hard in a long time. Please, Jesus, do not let those coyotes have that party tonight because my wife is just, I mean, it's gonna be bad. No coyotes, so like Friday night came, Saturday. Saturday, it's a rescue party, all right? My wife is doing everything possible. She's putting up posters on Ingalls. She's putting up posters at the Mills River feed store. She's putting up stuff on Facebook, that Facebook post organically got seen by over a million people. Like, are you kidding me? It's for a schnauzer. It got seen by people in Oklahoma. Not that people in Oklahoma are going to help us find a dog in Western Carolina, but it's thoughtful of them. Some of y'all did it. People I didn't even know were calling my cell phone saying, hey, you want to help us? Uh, you want you want us to come help you with a dog? I'm like, oh, 1-800. I don't even know who you are, but sure. We looked up and down that mountain two or three times. No, Gracie. I'm like, man, now I've got to confess, deep in my heart, deep in my heart about Saturday afternoon, I was like, awesome, I'm going to get me another German Shepherd. That's what I'm going to get. That's what I was thinking. I was, going, I was already looking stuff up, but I wasn't going to show Lori. I was like, this is going to be good, but I'm going to wait till like Wednesday. So Sunday happened. Sunday happened. I was like, I'm praying, I'm praying, Lori, praying, praying. So I go, and so my wife comes at 11 o'clock on Sunday. And I'm sitting up here preaching. I look over and she leaves. I'm like, oh, what did I say? She's really mad. I lost her dog. You know what happened? She got a phone call from one of those Facebook posts, one of those flyers at the feed store or whatever. And man, the dog had been spotted over like on the other side of the ridge. And here's what happened. My wife drives over there. She's over there looking for the dog. And she didn't see him before. And then they finally see this little black schnauzer head look over the weed and looks over there. And initially the dog was scared. I couldn't believe it. It's only been two days. But she's like, Gracie, Gracie, come here. And Gracie's like, no, no, no. I mean, kind of traumatized. But then eventually Gracie finally figures out kind of who it is and she goes woo, 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 and jumps in her arm and she is covered with filth and scubula. You're like, what is that? That's like Greek cussing, okay? You can look that up, all right? It's, it's like, just picture what it is, all right? It smells horrible, all right? She'd somehow gotten in there to stay warm, jumps in her arms, man. You know what my wife did not do? My wife did not go, oh, you stink. Uh, go clean yourself up. But no, man, my wife just hold her in her arm, put a big old comforter blanket on there that we then got rid of, but took her home, bathed her, cuddled up. By the time I got home from church, man, that dog was clinging to my wife like she would never, ever, ever let go. And in about a billion times bigger way. Think about the way that God tries to come on a rescue mission for you. He calls your name, Johnny, Johnny. Or maybe he's calling to a friend who invites you to a Christmas service. Maybe he's talking about a commercial or a radio spot or something like that. It's like, hey, hey, come here. I love you. And you might be scared to death. Maybe somebody scared you of God. Maybe somebody told you when you were growing up, you know what? God hates you. God hates you. God hates you because you act a certain way. God hates you. God hates you. And you've been scared. You're like, man, you haven't been in church for a long time. If you will, if you will run to God, repent and run to Jesus, listen to me. By the authority of what this book says, he will pull you up in his arms. He will embrace you. He will wash all that scubula away from you, and you will not want to leave his side. That's the Christmas message. It is not behave. It is not be good. It is not even become. It is behold, look what God has done for you. 
Now, we talk about this all the time, but this whole quote, you're like, how's he going to do that? Let me just kind of start to land the plane here. This quote in verse 33 is from a book called Isaiah. Isaiah was written 700. They actually call Isaiah the fifth gospel. Isaiah was written, Isaiah was written 500, or 700 years before Jesus, before the incarnation. Okay, incarnation, by the way, just means in flesh. All right, carne. Some of y'all heard like chili con carne. That means like, you know, with meat in it. That's actually where it comes from. It's not, I'm not, that really wasn't a joke. So I'm just saying it was actually means it's like God in the flesh. But listen, listen to what he says later on in the book. And this is how it happens. But he was pierced for our transgressions. By the way, just real quickly on this first note. Isaiah 700 years before the incarnation. 700, let's say 33 years before Jesus hung on a cross for you. It was actually also crucifixion was not even invented till like 300 years before Jesus. And here we are 700 years before Jesus prophesying that he would be pierced for your transgressions. He would be crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And then one more verse, verse six. All we like sheep, all we like schnauzers or whatever, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have. Just kind of wandered off. Just wandered off. Wandered off to our own things. We have turned everyone to his own way, and then the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means when Jesus is hanging on a cross, he's like, it is finished. What's finished? What's finished? Him taking your sin. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Theologians call that double imputation. What that means is that God takes all of the righteousness of Jesus and he puts it onto your account. And he takes all of your wickedness, all of my sin, all of my rebellion, all of my glory stealing, and he puts that and he puts that on Jesus. And so when he says it is finished, what is finished? It means the what is there? It's the propitiation. It's the payment has been satisfied. And so you're like, man, uh, um, I don't even know how that happens. I don't even know how that happens. Let me ask you. Let me ask you because we're all kind of on a joy quest. Good news, a great joy. We're all on a joy quest. All on a joy quest. We try to find it by improving ourselves, whether physically, man, if I can just, if I can just get in shape, if I can just lose 10 pounds, if I can just get this six pack, or man, if I can just be senior VP of marketing and I can just be regional manager, and if I can, then I would have joy. Or if it's not that, it's just relationships. Man, if I can just meet Mr. Right, man, he will complete, he will complete me. And then Christmas time, it's everybody, it's like big engagement season. If I can just get married, that will make me happy. <laughs> All right, I heard some married people laughing. Okay, so it's like, no, that, this, sometimes it does. Sometimes marriage makes you very happy. But here's what you got to understand. If we're putting all of our chips there to say, you know what, I'm putting all of my chips on that person, on that other sinner to make me happy. I mean, that is the cul-de-sac of stupidity to be able to say, you know what, it didn't work last time, it didn't work the time before, and I'm just going to go round and round and round. It's not ever going to actually give you what the Bible calls joy. It won't. He said, I've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Those arms that you think are going to embrace you and that romance that's going to solve all your problems, those are the arms of God. Those are the arms of Jesus that says, yeah, I stretched my, my arms and died for you. That whole approval and significance thing, that's great. That's great. What more approval do you need than the cross of Christ? What more approval do you need than the fact that he took all the righteousness of Jesus and puts to your account? And the way that happens is it, it happens by 
uh, repentance and faith. And so I'm going to ask you, an old, it might sound old school, and it probably is old school, but uh, here's the question. Have you ever actually been saved? Have you actually ever been saved? I don't mean do you go to church. You might go to church regularly, okay? It's the old saying, I mean, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than, you know, jumping in an oven makes you a biscuit. You know, it's, it's just going to church is not ever make you a Christian. So I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, did you do some good stuff? I'm not asking, did you get your life straightened out? I'm not even asking, honestly, I'm not even asking, did you pray some prayer? Some preacher told you to pray. I'm asking you if you've ever had at the soul level, at the gut level, the, uh-oh, I have rebelled against a holy God. Have you ever believed that when Jesus died on the cross, that counted for you? It can. So let's do it this way. Why don't you bow your heads, and before we go into a beautiful candlelight moment, let's make sure we understand and make sure that we know that we know that we know. So heads bowed and eyes closed. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, Christmas can be complicated. The Christmas message is not complicated. As a matter of fact, it can be, your response can be literally, it can be ABC. First thing you gotta be able to do though is admit, admit something. I don't care how well you look, how religious you are, you gotta admit you're a sinner. That's not easy, you gotta swallow your pride. Are you willing in church right now to say, you know what, I, I have failed morally. I can't, I can't keep the Ten Commandments, much less my own commandments. I'm a moral failure. I do not love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't even love my neighbor as myself. Therefore, I am guilty. I need forgiveness and pardon. You're like, that hurts to even admit. It hurts good, though. There's a, until you get to the good news, you've got to address the bad news. You were so bad, the Son of God had to die for you, but so loved, so loved, he chose to die for you. So just admit, admit, just, you know, God, I'm a sinner. Be can be believed. Believe in Jesus Christ, that what Jesus did on the cross counted for you. You're like, I don't know all, I don't know all. All you gotta know is when he says it is finished, that what he did on the cross counted for you. And then C can be confess. Just conf- right there in your seat, just confess Jesus as Lord. Just say, I want to surrender my life to the lordship of Jesus. I surrender my life to your command. You're the boss. You are my savior. I want to surrender my life to you. So before I pray for all of us, heads bowed, eyes closed, just look up at me for one second if you prayed that prayer. Just if you prayed that prayer. If you just right then said, you know what? I'm surrendering my life to the lordship of Christ. Just look at me for one second. Whether you're at Hendersonville, whether you're Arden, whether you're East Asheville, please do one thing. If today was the day that you said, I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus, just tell somebody. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or fill out a card or anything, but if you really did that, you'll want to tell somebody. So tell the friend that brought you, uh, tell somebody that you're close with that maybe doesn't even know Christ, go, I don't even know what happened. Uh, Here's what I did, and I don't know what to do now. We'd love to know in any of the lobbies, just tell somebody. We'd love to get you a Bible if you don't have a Bible already, get you started in the right way, okay? Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the fact that you are Savior and you were sent. Thank you that you came on a rescue mission for us. I thank you that when we look back 2,000 years ago, help us to not just stay in the nativity scene. Help us to not just stay in the comforting words of, you know, this is the nice manger and the sweet baby, but the baby grew up to be a man who lived the life we should have lived and died in our place as our substitute, as a payment that satisfies and help us give all glory to you. 
God, I pray particularly for the people that for the first time surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ. May the days and the weeks and even months ahead prove that to be authentic by the way that you change them, by the way that they actually say, you know what, this is what God did in my life. God, I pray for the Christians that are here already, that the songs and the music and the Christmas and the present giving and all the time with family. God, you said that you were the light of the world, but then you told us that, guess what? You left us for us to be the light of the world, and I pray that we would do, we would do just that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.